You're listening to the Hollyview Podcast, a message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 1030 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. And now, here's this week's message on the Hollyview Podcast. Uh, so, so this week, if you're just joining us, we're, we're actually getting to the end of a story, but you, you, hopefully you won't be too uh, lost. Uh, we pick up our story. If you have a Bible, we'll be in 1 Samuel 28. We're going to be covering two chapters this morning. And basically the summary of it is we've been following uh, we've been following the rise of the kingdom of Israel as Saul has been anointed and installed king and he sits on the throne uh, but his heart is not for the Lord uh, he doesn't listen to the Lord he does his own thing uh, and so the Lord has has ripped the kingdom is going to rip the kingdom from him and give it to this young boy named David who he is anointed king of Israel. Uh, So this up-and-coming David who's rising to the kingdom, uh, but still Saul is on the throne. And Saul, uh, because he's afraid of of David and him overtaking him, he wants to kill David. And so this really uh, ironic twist that we saw last week, uh, David then uh, goes and he runs to the Philistines. And he's with the enemies of the Philistines living there. Um, And then we pick up our story this morning. As David has been living with the Philistines for years... As Saul is wanting to kill him, and there's this, uh, this, tense, uh, this tense scene that's going to begin the story. So 1 Samuel 28, I'd like to begin this morning by reading uh, the first 14 verses of 1 Samuel 28. So if you read along with me, 1 Samuel 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish, that's the king of the Philistines, he said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. Well, David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him at Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel and encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the armies of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there's a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know... What Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. 
Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And he said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. Let's stop there and, and pray. Lord, thank you for the beautiful day. And as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would uh, quiet our minds from all the activities of last week and the to-do list for this next week, and that for the next few moments, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word like you've been doing for thousands of years. Would you send your spirit to, to lighten our eyes so that we could see what you'd have for us? You'd open our ears that we would, we would hear from you, that you'd soften our hearts, that we would understand the words that you would have for each one of us today that would challenge us, encourage us, heal us, move us, Lord, that when we leave here today, we would be known by you more, that we would open our hearts up to be known by you and others, and Lord, that we would be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We see just the beginning of the story that Saul was afraid. He was terrified. He was trembling, and because of that, he goes and he tries to deceive this woman by putting a a robe uh, on him, uh, deceived with this cloak over him. And at the end of the story, we see that Samuel, he comes up from the the ground, and how they recognize him is by a robe. There there is a theme in the Bible of deception, and often that deception in terms of of clothing, of of putting something on. Let me me just give you a few examples. There's a a man named Jacob in in Genesis. Uh, Jacob's name means actually deceiver. Jacob, with his mother's encouragement, uh, goes to his father and puts on his twin brother's uh, clothes over him. And he goes in and tries to deceive his father to get the blessing. He's afraid that he's going to miss out, that he's not going to get what his brother gets. So so he puts on that clothes and he deceives deceives his father. Well, uh, Jacob then goes to get married. And he meets this guy named Laban, who has two daughters, and he, and he loves his youngest daughter. And he's about to marry his youngest daughter when Laban deceives the deceiver. And on the wedding night, he takes his oldest daughter, Leah, and dresses her up in the wedding gown, puts the veil over her so that he is now deceiving the deceiver. And so he ends up marrying Leah and then has to work another seven years to marry his daughter. Deceiving. Well, I think Laban was afraid that it would bring shame or disgrace to his family if his youngest daughter was married first so, so that he wouldn't disgrace his, his oldest daughter. He, he wanted to do this. He, he was af- afraid of what was going to happen, so he uh, deceived well, uh, as Jacob has kids, there's one of them named Joseph, who was his favorite, and he gave this, this coat to him to, to honor him, to show him uh, he was his favorite son. Well, the brothers, they're, they're afraid that, that Joseph is rising too much. He's going to control them. He's, he's going to manipulate them. So the brothers actually take that coat, rip it off him, sell Joseph into slavery, and dip that cloak into blood and then give it to their father and say, is this not your son Joseph? 
with a cloak, with a robe, they deceive the father. Uh, and the last one, there's, there's a lady named Tamar who is married to one of uh, Judah's sons later on, and, and she ends up dressing, uh, putting on the cloak uh, of a prostitute to deceive her father-in-law. Uh, she's afraid that she's going to be left vulnerable and unprotected, and so she deceives. What we often see at the root of deception, what motivates deception is of, often fear. Before we jump back into our text, I want to give you uh, one more story. This happened in the 1960s. It's actually a true uh, story. Uh, every night, Frank's dad would come into his room, this six-foot frame guy, and he would kneel by his bed, and he would whisper in the ear, right next to the earlobe of his son, I love you, every night. That was, that was uh, Frank's memory all growing up. He knew his dad loved him, but he also knew his mom loved him tremendously, too. He, he grew up in such a loving household. Well, until he was 16, when his brother came and got him from school and brought him to a family courtroom. And there, as he entered the, the courthouse, he saw his mom on the left side and his dad on the right, and he approached the bench, and the judge told him for the first time, your parents are getting a divorce. You need to decide who you're going to live with. Uh, Frank's world shattered at that moment. He, he didn't know what to do. He, he was afraid if he chose one, he would hurt the other one. He just froze for what seemed like a long time to him. And then not choosing which one he was going to go, he just turned around and ran out of the courtroom. A 16-year-old boy, afraid of who he was going to, to hurt. He, he actually ran out and uh, hid in the city, living on his own, at a 16-year-old uh, boy. He got some part-time jobs. When he told him he was 16, uh, they would pay him as a 16-year-old. So he, he, he looked a little older than he actually was, so he began to uh, lie, to deceive people. He told him he was 25 years old, and he saw his wages go up a little more. Uh, and then when all that money ran out, he started writing checks, uh, checks that bounced because he didn't have any money, but, but he would go in and deceive people and, and make, think that he was some businessman or something. And, and then one day he saw this pilot walking through uh, and going into the bank and thought, man, if I was a pilot, I would have no problem cashing checks. So he went through this whole ordeal where he actually became like a pilot. He had a, uh, an ID, he knew all the jargon, all to cash checks. But then he realized, boy, I can deceive, uh, I can keep deceiving people. And, and so he actually would fly on uh, planes all over the world. Uh, you might have seen this movie as well. Steven Spielberg made a movie called Catch Me If You Can. I don't recommend the movie, uh, but it's a real life story of Frank Abagnale. Well, he went on, uh, not only become a pilot, but he uh, deceived people into thinking he was a doctor and even a lawyer. And now he has worked for the FBI uh, in fraud cases for almost 37 uh, years. Um, he has a lot of talks that he does to people about deception. And they say, boy, uh, people have asked him, you were just a genius. How did you figure out all these things? How did you know how to do this? Boy, you must have been just a child genius. And his response each time is, I wasn't a genius. I was a scared kid. I, I was afraid. Uh, and he never stopped running. He just kept deceiving people because there was this fear inside of him. You see, often at the root of deception, it, it's motivated by this fear. 
So we put on uh, nice clothes for Sunday. We put on a different identity. We put on this facade to other people because I think really, if you get down to the bottom of it, we're, we're, there's some fear. We're afraid of something or, or someone. Well, that brings us back to our, our text today. As we return and look, you are going to see both David and Saul are motivated by fear and end up trying to deceive people. And we have two stories, so we're doing two chapters again. But the author, I think, is putting these two uh, stories and wants us to see them together. So so chapter 28 and 29, we'll see a story uh, of David and we'll see a story of Saul. And they're put right next to each other. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go back and look at just the first uh, two verses in chapter 28. Let me just show you the like the rough outline of these two chapters. Uh, chapters 1 and 2, you're going to see a start of a story. Uh, that set things up. We get the backdrop of, of David's with the enemy, the Philistines. And then all of a sudden, he's been living with them for years. Uh, he's been uh, raiding all these enemies of, of Philis- the Philistines and coming back and reporting like, Hey, uh, Akish, I've raided all these enemies of you. But he kills all of them because they're actually enemies of Israel. Uh, so he's been deceiving this whole time. Uh, he, he's probably looking more and more like a Philistine. He's probably wearing uh, Philistine clothes. He's probably picking up some of even the habits uh, that they have there. But you notice in, in verse 1 and 2, we get the start of the story. Uh-oh, uh, the Philistines are going into war against the Israelites, where David is is from. Uh, what's David going to do? And if you uh, go on to the, the next verse, verse 3, you'll see that all of a sudden that first story that he's introduced, that tense moment that we have, like what's David going to do? He just drops. He just leaves it hanging for us. We, we, don't, we don't know. We have to actually wait for a whole nother story. And, and if we had time and you had some like detective curiosity you'd read that story and, and you'd be like well this doesn't even really line up uh with the rest of it this this story should actually come bef- right before chapter 31 when Saul dies uh so so something's going on here and then in chapter 29 we come back to that original story so if you can see chap- verses 1 and 2 in chapter 29 go together but in the middle the author has put this story uh the Philistines for us to uh to meditate and consider these two stories together. So it begins like this. David has deserted. Him and his 600 men have been living with the Philistines for, for months, years even, uh, as he's gone out and raided and come back. And now the Philistines are like, now it's time to go into battle against Israel. And so the king of Kish, he comes to David and he says, you and your 600 warriors, you're with me, right? We're going to go out and get them. Now what's David supposed to do? Uh, he, if you've read the story all the way through in 1 Samuel, you'll see David is not to t- lay a hand on God's anointed. Is he going to fight the Israelites? Like, what's he, what's he going to do? Well, chapter 28 begins with this, this tension, these first two verses, and, and it seems like we're getting to the end of David's deception. He can no longer pretend to be like a, a Philistine. He has to choose. Are you an Israelite or are you a Philistine? Well, David responds to the king of Kish, his summon, hey, come and fight with me. He, he just responds in this in verse 2. You shall know what your servant can do. You shall know what your servant can do. What's that mean? <laughs> what, what, is, what can your servant do? Uh, David leaves this generalization. Is he, is he going to fight for a king of Kish? Or is he going to end up seeing, you'll see how strong I am and defeat them? We're just left with, you'll see what your servant can do. What's that, what's that mean? And so we're, we're just about to get into that story when all of a sudden the spotlight switches and goes to uh, Saul. Now Saul, 
we're told right at the beginning, Saul had this interesting little piece. Saul had put all the medium and necromancers, he put them out of the land. He, he must have been having a good day where he was trying to follow the Lord and said, hey, all of you dealing with evil spirits and dark spirits out of the land, I don't want you in here anymore. It seems random uh, until that piece of information is super important later on in our story. The, the next thing we're told about Saul, though, is that he is afraid, he's terrified. He is trembling. And the story tells really because of two things. Uh, the first thing is that the Philistines had come into the land and were uh, going to attack the Israelites. The Philistines, a, a very warlike people, but not only that, not just another enemy, uh, an enemy that had David and his 600 warriors with him. Now, Saul had known that David had defected to the Philistines because it says uh, a couple chapters before that, that David left to go to the Philistines so that Saul would no longer uh, keep seeking after him. And he says when Saul learned that David had gone over there, he stopped following him. He, he knew David was with the Philistines. He knew also that God was with David. And so he, here's Saul. He's, he's terrified because the enemy was coming and David was among them. And, and he's, he must have been thinking, this is the end for me. The second thing, the reason that David was afraid was that God was silent. God, God wasn't speaking to Saul or to anyone around him. Uh, it lists three things. Uh, he, he wasn't speaking to him in dreams, in Urim, or the prophets. Those are three interesting things, and they're just not random. Most of the time when God spoke to kings, he would speak in dreams. And so as Saul is the king, he's waiting for the Lord to speak to him in dreams, but he has no dreams. God is not speaking to the king. The Urim, that was something that went on the ephod, this jacket that the priests would wear. Uh, it was almost like dice, and they would see, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? And, and through that Urim, they would see the Lord's uh, direction. Well, there was no priests around because Saul had, remember this, he had gone to, uh, and gone to Nob, and he had killed all the priests. So God wasn't speaking through the king, God wasn't speaking through the priests, there were no priests, and God wasn't speaking through prophets. Where were the prophets? Samuel was, was gone. God was not speaking through kings, priests, or prophets. And Saul's pretty, pretty scared. It says that Saul, he inquired of the Lord. Well, I don't know how many times Saul had quieted the Lord, and now his attempt to inquire of the Lord, maybe not exactly all that, uh, all that meaningful or heartfelt, and it seems that God had gone, nope, you've done enough. And so to, instead of that, you even see it in Saul's heart. He inquires of the Lord, and then the very next section, when God doesn't answer, he goes, okay, well, if you're not going to answer from up there, I'm going to ask down there. So he says, find me a medium, a necromancer, someone that can speak from beyond. Well, Saul, he had expelled them all, right? But isn't it interesting how fast his servants go, oh, yeah, we know where one is. Oh, Endor. Oh, she's really good. Lots of people go to her. The, the, the medium at Endor. And you're thinking, wait, I thought all of them were, were gone. I thought he had expelled all of them. And yet there was this one that everyone even knew about. Well, Saul, he says, great, that's where I'm going to go. So he, he makes this journey to this medium, but, but, but if he goes as the king, I mean, he said all the mediums and necromancers should be gone. How is he supposed to go to this uh, medium? So he takes off his kingly robe, and he puts on uh, a robe of 
a servant or, or some disguise because he doesn't want people to know who he is and he's afraid. If he's found out that the king is going to a medium, it, it would seem like, boy, he's gone back on his word. It, it would seem like he, he was embarrassed. It feels like things are out of control or chaotic. So rather than going as the king, Saul takes off his royal clothes, the, the ones cut by David, the ones with the history, and puts on these other garments to hide who he was. So he goes to this lady, and he says, I want you to bring up a, a spirit for me. Well, that's her, that's her job, but she, she says, oh, okay, this is his entourage. I'm not quite sure about you. Uh, don't you know what Saul has done? He's gotten rid of a, you're trying to, you're trying to get me trapped here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Don't you know what Saul has done? She's speaking to Saul and she says, don't you know what Saul has done? But rather than the king actually going at the authority and the power of the king, uh, he could have just said, yeah, I'm Saul and that's okay. I'm redoing that order. But he deceives her. He says, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Instead of being truthful and honest, he was deceptive like a snake. He wants to think he's doing the righteous thing when actually he's being uh, very evil. So he asked her to call up this, uh, the prophet. Not, he's the king and the priests are all gone. So the, the prophet, that's our last, our last hope. So, so call up Samuel. Maybe, maybe he can intervene for us. Now I don't know if this lady was just a, a deceiver, a charlatan herself that said she could do these things because when Samuel actually comes up, she's freaked out. She, she screams. The spirit arises. It says uh, one like this God arises. It's the word Elohim. It's a spiritual being that comes up. Now, if you had a couple hours, this is a super interesting thing, uh, easy to get sidetracked. How does, how does this lady call up someone from the dead? Is it really Samuel? How do they talk about all these things? Is there inner, inner relationship? Can you communicate with people that have gone on before? We get lost in that for hours, but I don't think that's the point of the story. Uh, so I'm just going to leave all that. And if you're interested, there's lots of commentaries uh, that try to put that together. Uh, the gist of the story is that somehow this lady, when this uh, spirit comes up, knows that Saul has just deceived her. Now, it doesn't say how, but, but she sees some, some spirit coming up and goes, oh, man, you've deceived me. You're Saul. Why did you deceive me? You didn't have any reason to deceive me. You're the king. And yet he put on these other clothes to be deceptive because he was afraid. But Saul, he's not even phased. He doesn't even bat an eye about that. Hey, you're sinning. You've just deceived me. He's like, that doesn't matter. Just tell me what's his appearance. What's he look like? And she responds. And I think as we read it, we're like, boy, this is such a generic response. But, but for Saul, I think it was very poignant. I see an old man coming up. And he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knows. I know that robe. It's Samuel. Samuel is known by his clothes, known by his robe. The last time we, we saw that robe was when Saul had actually grabbed Samuel. says, hey, don't do that. And, and Samuel turns 
and the robe rips. And he says, this is a sign to you, Saul, that your kingdom is being ripped from you. And in fact, Samuel, the spirit, actually says, who am I going to speak to you? Who am I, I going to speak to you, Saul? Uh, God's already spoken, and he says, this, the kingdom is going to be ripped away from you. See, Saul takes off his robe and deceives people, and Samuel is known by his robe. Well, Saul eats a little something with this medium, and the medium tells him, hey, look, tomorrow you're going to die, and so are your sons. The, the end of your deception is at hand. It, it's, it's over. And then that story fades out. And the story that we began with in the chapter of David picks up. So let me read uh, the first six verses of chapter 29 and just make some observations at the end. So First Samuel 29. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the, of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel? That's true. You don't see a problem with that, Saul? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Oh, is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel? He correctly identifies him, who has been with me now for days and years. And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to, said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which they have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to the Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Just jumping down, verse 6. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest to me, and it seems right that you should march out uh, in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. Well, the Philistines are gathering to go into war against the Israelites. Can you imagine being a commander in the Philistine army and before you are the Hebrews and you turn around and you see an army of Hebrews right behind you and you go, wait a minute here, something's not right. Uh, why is he, he going, we're being surrounded by Hebrews here, king. You don't see a problem with this, but yet King Achish was so deceived by David. David had been lying this whole time. He, he had won him over with all of his lies and his deception. But the Philistine army says, no way, we're not going. We don't buy it. We don't buy the deception of David. And in the end, you see that the Philistines are actually a gift to David, that he doesn't have to go out and fight against the Israelites, that he gets this pass almost. That, that in God's sovereignty, he isn't going to allow David or his men to go out and harm any Israelite. The king, King Kish, he says, I find no fault in David. But all along, if you read the story, David's at fault. He's deceiving the king all along. David has painted himself into this corner with his deception because he was afraid of King Saul. But God has graciously given him a way out through the Philistine army. 
very ironic little twist in the story. Well, thinking of these two stories, of both Saul and David, I, I think it teaches us that we're all capable of deception. Deception. The, the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is true, untrue or false. Uh, I think if we would examine our, ourselves, we might see times of uh, deception in our own hearts. You know, we do get dressed up on a, a Sunday. This is uh, some of the nicest clothes I wear for the week. <laughs> because uh, I want to put on uh, something that we have it all together. You all look very nice this morning. Uh, but if we wore on our sleeves the hurts and the pains and the struggles we were going through, uh, I think we would be looking a little different. We ask each other, hey, how are you doing today? And what's the typical American response? Great. Everything's going great. I, I take off the hurt, the vulnerability that I have, and I put on something else be because I'm afraid. I'm, I'm afraid if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. Uh, I'm afraid if I let out that ugly mess in me, uh, people would judge me. I'm afraid, uh, I'm afraid I would be the only one, that people would reject me. So, so we ask, how are you doing? And all the time we take off a robe and put on a different robe and go, doing just fine. I saw a little thing, fine probably means feelings inside not, uh, not expressed. Feelings inside not expressed. Every time you say, oh, I'm fine, basically what you're saying is, I'm going to put on this coat. I, I'm, I'm doing just fine. There's stuff happening in me, but I'm not going to uh, give that to you because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of how you're going to respond uh, and how I would be respond, that I might be rejected or, or hurt. So I think there's that possibility of deception in, in all of us. But the good thing about Jesus is that he gave a way to end our deception with each other and with, with him. There's a way to be to end the, sh the shame, the guilt, the fear of being rejected by other people. The Bible says perfect love drives out fear. And when you're not afraid, you don't have to put on a different cloak. See, Jesus came. He lived uh, a completely vulnerable life, humble. He didn't lie or cheat or steal. And in 1 Peter, it says uh, that he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Not one word uh, out of fear to protect himself. So that everything that Jesus says is true. Every last word. And it's a gift to us. And his word that we can trust, that help us navigate this life and actually get to the end of the deception for ourselves. We don't have to be afraid. You know, the Jewish, Jewish rulers, they, they were afraid of Jesus. They wanted to kill him. So they hand him over to uh, this guy named Pilate. And Pilate questions him, asks him all these things. And you know the end, what he says to the people? Look, I've questioned him. I've, I've examined him. And he says, and yet there is, I can find no basis for charge against him. I find nothing at fault with this man. And at those words, there was the first time those words were actually true of another human being. I find nothing at fault, no deception in this man. The perfect son of God was stripped of his clothes, became completely vulnerable, 
to do what man and woman could not do. He, he bore all of our sins so that we didn't have to be afraid anymore. We didn't have to feel the, sh- the shame. And it's actually a gracious way to escape your own deception. It's a way that the church can be described with each other as you go through hard times, as you're struggling in your marriage or at school or with anxiety or with fear, that this place should be the place where because of Jesus being completely vulnerable, that love would drive out the fear and that we wouldn't be people uh, that take off a cloak of who we really are and, and put on something that we pretend to be. That deception would not be anywhere among us. But I think that's hard because we're afraid. Uh, let me end with this and then we're going to take communion together. Uh, so we have a Bible study Tuesday morning here for the guys. Six o'clock, super early. Don't recommend it. Uh, but six o'clock, we're, we're here. Um, I, I'm normally one of the first guys here. Craig's, Craig's here early too. He's an early riser. Uh, and I, I got here probably a little bit late a couple weeks ago. And as I, as I got here, actually, sorry, I didn't ask for permission to share this, Amy. But <laughs> as I got here, Amy and I had just had a fight the night before. And I got here, and I could have been like, oh, yeah, everything's going great. Do you guys remember this? And I got there, and I said, you know what? Amy and I had a fight the night before. We talked a little bit about it this morning, but we're still not done. We're still not done reconciling this whole thing. So, so I'm sorry I'm late, but that's just who I am. And you know the spirit that morning in the men's Bible study? It was vulnerable for me. I'm a pastor, right? Pastor and his wives don't fight. Uh, my kids are always perfect, right? That's, if you know me, you know it's not true. But yet how often am, am I so tempted to go, well, if, if you really knew, you know, Amy and I fight sometimes, you would think, oh, he's not a good guy. or he's what, uh, what is that? And yet the reality is that's just who I am. But because of Jesus, I don't have to be afraid anymore. Because I know I'm forgiven, I'm set free, and the Lord's doing a work in me and redeeming me. And so I think as we come to the communion table, uh, it's the end of our deception. Uh, We can go, oh yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. But when you hold this cup in your hand, you're proclaiming, I'm not fine. In fact, I need a redeemer. I need someone that died on my behalf. Otherwise, I can't do it. I can't be good enough. I don't know where you're at this morning. I, I hope you have a communion cup uh, in your hands. Uh, because Jesus, as he sat down at that table with those men, he, he gave them something. I want you to do this as often as you do this. And I want you to do it as often as you do this because it's the end of your deception. It's the beginning of freedom. It's the beginning of f- forgiveness for you. Because Jesus laid down who he was, to be completely vulnerable with us. So if you have those cups, if you can peel back that top layer, I know this isn't I- ideal, but it's a picture of what they've been doing for thousands of years. I want you to take this bread. I want you to break it. Jesus told his disciples, this is my body, it's broken for you. And as you feel broken and hurt and lost and scared, I want you to take it. Because I'm there to give you freedom and forgiveness. This do in remembrance of me. It's through Jesus' blood that gives us an invitation uh, to actually be known, 
to be known by Jesus, to be known by other believers, to be known in the family of, of God, so that as you walk through hard times and great times, you'll have people on your left and your right that go, yeah, I know what it's like. You can be real with me. Let's go back to Jesus. He said, as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray and I'll invite the worship team to come back up. Lord, uh, a group of people this size, the burdens that I'm sure are represented here are um, heavy in a lot of people. Um, Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who aren't perfect, but are forgiven and redeemed, and that we would be a place where people find grace and hope and love. Uh, not perfect people who have perfect families, but people that are uh, forgiven and redeemed by you. And so, Lord, would, we, would you make us a church that's... Uh, that wouldn't deceive anyone, that we would, we would actually invite people into our weakness so that they can see your strength. And Lord, that you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the Hollyview Podcast. Please join us for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast.